she defined an integrated person so well that I, I just really, it changed my life. She said an integrated person is someone who owns their gifts and talents without feeling better than and owns and accepts their weaknesses and their shortcomings without feeling less than. Welcome back in visionaries to the dream into being podcast where mind science, transformational psychology and magic all merge into one. If you're ready to dream again and transcend the inertia of what you've known, then I invite you to join me, your host and envisioneer Kat Divine in expanding the boundaries of your own fantasia by remembering that you are the master you've been waiting for. Welcome back Envisionaries. Today's episode is actually going to be a little bit unique because this woman is a genius and an expert in the field of connection. And originally I had invited her on to share her uh, creation experiment journey, her entrepreneurial journey. And in the process of getting to know each other better, it just clicked that I would be missing a huge opportunity for myself to learn and for all of the listeners to understanding in a very grounded and practical way how we can approach our relationships differently. So today is going to be a hybrid of the creation and the connection experiment. So I'm actually really, really looking forward to this so much. And what I do, Marianne, is instead of Going through somebody's bio, what I love to do is we rarely get the opportunity to celebrate ourselves. So what I want to give you an opportunity is to have a little mini brag session and tell all of us, tell all of my viewers how amazing you are and okay. all the things, <laughs> all the things you're just so proud of when it comes to your business and what you've accomplished and through the lens of relationships. Okay. Whoa, I love that you said, what are you really proud of? And I would have to say my stickability, my stability. So I was talking to my brother years ago, and he gave me some feedback about how I'm perceived by him and by others. And, and I had already had an inkling that maybe people were perceiving me this way. But I didn't have a lot of stay power or stickability. I would jump from networking, network marketing business to network marketing business. I always knew I wanted to be an entrepreneur, right? Okay. Um, but I didn't feel comfortable in the creative space. So it was the plug and play business, right? Where I don't have to think, I don't have to create, I don't have to problem solve. I just have to business in the box, follow the formula and, and collect my checks. <laughs> and my brother, when he said like, you start a lot of things, but you don't, stick with them. You don't finish things. And that was crushing. And I felt so much shame and embarrassment and humiliation. And I was like, I, this has to end. And I had at the time that he said that I had started a uh, program where I was getting certified as a holistic nutritionist. So I had gone to health coaching school and I, and I liked being a coach. I knew that I was talented in that area and I had real passion for food and, and health and wellness. Right. So I got into that space and then I went into the nu holistic nutrition certification and I, it took me, I think, seven years to complete it, <laughs> which is not a seven year program. <laughs> and once I realized like, okay, this has got to end, I completed the rest of what I had to do in like three months. It was just, 
Yeah, we got to circle back because I have to tell you how I ended up being able to do it where as I couldn't before. And the emotion that was blocking me from being able to finish was shame. Yeah, right. right. I was so ashamed and I wasn't super passionate about the food and diet and, and physical health and wellness so much. And so I was like, well, this isn't really where I'm going anyways. Why finish? Well, because you started it. That's why. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Right. So anyway, I'm really proud that I started going down this road of coaching, whatever iteration it has become 10 years ago now. So I'm really proud that I've stuck with that. And yes, it has morphed in a few different ways because it's gone from physical wellness to mental and emotional and, and spiritual awareness. Mm -hmm. And now a relational, um, it's still coaching. It's still using my superpower of listening mm -hmm. and um, using my intuition and stepping away, step taking my ego and taking my personality away and letting whatever works through me to work through me. And that's when I love what I do. It's so much fun. It's like alchemy um, because it's more like I'm a participant. It's not all on me. So that's how I avoid the imposter syndrome. Right. I had imposter syndrome like crazy in the beginning. And I, and that doesn't happen anymore because I recognize and acknowledge that it's not just me hitting, sitting here in the coach's chair. Oh my gosh. Okay. First of all, I just got full body chills because a thousand percent, I could not agree with you more. And in fact, I've only ever heard one other person say this, and he's a super famous coach and it changed my life to hear, to understand what you just said, because you're right. Our ego will want to take over and perform and show up a certain way. And he said, essentially the same thing you did is our only job. Two things is to listen to the person in front of us and the higher guidance that's coming through and to be a clear channel, channel for it. Yeah. So, yeah. And that, and when I'm letting my ego guide, I suck as a coach. It just, it's not good. <laughs> Probably because we have too many biases, right? Yeah. Yeah. And I'm too much in my head and that I have a coach myself. Thank goodness. And she has really taught me how to be that clean and clear channel to get out of my own mind and really be in the mind of the person that is in front of me. Do you have any extra tips? Like this sounds like you've really do like dove deep into this topic. I haven't, I'm very surface level. I practice it, but I've never really sat down and thought about how could I teach this to somebody else? Oh, well, I recommend sign up for my, my coach. <laughs> She's great. Okay. Um, we can always know um, when we feel a shift in energy in our body. We always know if we've, if we've jumped into our mind and our judgments and our insecurities, when, well, first of all, they've said a sentence or so, and we're like, oh crap, what did they just say? I wasn't present. I wasn't here for that. And in order for me to coach really well, I have to be here for all of it, for every single word, for every single hesitation, for every single breath. I have to be on, which having sinus problems lately and making inflammation in my brain actually does hinder my ability to do that. And so that's a whole other story of me figuring out what's going on energetically with my sinuses, but I'm finally think I have a leg up on it. Um, but yeah, just being able to have, be very clear headed in my own mind. And here's what's so fun when you're getting out of the way, right. And you're being clear headed and you notice any energetic shifts in your body that signal you to, oh, I let something that they said 
pop me out of their head and into mine and make and made it about me and made it about my insecurity. Oh, no, am I doing this wrong? Or did I like making it about me? And it's not, it's never about me. And you can, you can know when that's happened, because you feel an energetic drop in your body. Okay. Right. And so just being aware of that, and then bringing just a tiny inner, you know, it doesn't take a lot of time in the conversation, but just bringing your attention to that energetic shift, being aware of it, and oh, and just shift right out of it. It's just a signal like, oh, here's and it has to be forgiven or you can't shift out of it. Interesting. So it sounds like shame is like a common denominator for a lot of what we're going to get into today. So thank goodness, because it is a topic that has been swept under the rug. I think until more recently, more Mm -hmm. of us. Thank you, Brene Brown. Right? I know. (laughs) One thing that's really fascinating to me is I get to participate in so many different types of communities. And what I found across the board is that the there is a common denominator of shame and guilt and that many of us are unconsciously programmed to focus on our weaknesses and our faults Mm -hmm. and really attach to them Mm -hmm. I thought wow what if that one shift was eliminated and we instead celebrated ourselves like it was so great for me to see you so willing to jump right into the brag session because that's not the case for everybody. It's not comfortable for everybody. I was listening to a podcast years ago, um, Dr. Finlayson, Finlayson Fife. I don't know if you've heard her podcast. She does a relational intimacy type of podcast and she defined an integrated person so well that I, I just really, it changed my life. She said an integrated person is someone who owns their gifts and talents without feeling better than and owns and accepts their weaknesses and their shortcomings without feeling less than. Perfect. Yeah. I mean, that's the ultimate experience. And yeah, I I really do want to come back to this, but you also said something that I think I don't want to miss the opportunity on because when it comes to the creation experiment, AKA being an entrepreneur, this was a huge lesson for me too. It's almost, it's interesting. I wonder if many of us that were meant to help assist others with these things, we just had to go through the mud and we had to experience what it was like to not be able to manifest and to not be able to stick and connect and commit. And so I want to come back to what was that shift for you? Because I had a super similar experience of receiving that feedback and being like, oh, okay, well, now what? Now what do I do? And so for me, it was finding a way to commit where I was accountable to somebody else. And then that changed my life and literally took me to places I didn't think I was capable of. So there's something magic. Accountability is magical. And then the commitment piece itself. You know, I've heard this saying that the universe will construct other universes around committed energy. Oh man, I've never heard it said that way, but that's so true. And it stuck with me. And I think about that often. And I I was actually just filming some TikToks about this the other day. And I I know it's not a popular topic. I don't think most people want to hear it. You know, accountability is the least popular topic right now. (laughs) It's so important because it's the initiation. It's the gateway to manifesting all of our dreams. So I want to give you the floor on 
sharing what your transformation was, because this is really so important. Yeah, the accountability piece was so lacking for me. I could never be committed and consistent in showing up for my business. I was always making excuses. And the shift for me came along the same time that my own relationship with my husband was really shifting. We were coming back from betrayal trauma and taking it one day at a time, trying to figure out, are we still in this or not? And really stepping into a whole new understanding of what love really is and what it is not caused me to really figure out what is self-love and what is it not. And when most, you know, self-love is this big buzzword now in the self-help and nobody's talking about that there's two selves. Oh, okay. Let's talk about that. There's the egoic self, the personality that you've constructed with your thoughts. And there's the eternal self that changes no matter what happens to you, no matter what you think, no matter what you do, it is changeless. It is always the same. And that's the self that needs to be loved. Interesting. Okay. I've heard it. Well, similar, but I've also heard that there is an aspect of learning how to love the imperfect ego as well. Right. And that's the integrating. It's not identifying with the ego. It's not fighting the ego because when whatever you fight persists, right. And get magnified. It's like, okay, ego, you're along for the ride, but you're in the back seat. Okay. Right. So thank you so much for trying to protect me from something you think is a threat. Thank you. Mm-hmm. But I've got this. Somebody else is in the driver's seat now, which is in my experience, true transformation cannot happen permanently unless someone acknowledges as a higher power, something yeah. greater than themselves, because the ego makes a mess of everything. If we're relying on just our ego and we're just identifying with me being a personality with a name and a body and all this thing, it's just a mess. It never works. Mm-hmm. Well, and what's really hilarious, this is my take on it. Um, I heard I heard this definition of enlightenment a few years ago that really changed the game for me because I had this misconception that enlightenment was, you know, like unicorns and rainbows and butterflies. And <laughs> oh, no. <laughs> wonderful. And I think a lot of people have that for some reason. And I heard this definition that basically said an enlightened person is somebody who is willing to experience absolutely anything. Mm-hmm. And it just like really, it really changed my life because I think I let go of a ton of resistance to yeah. what is. And then it clicked for me that, oh, we're supposed to be a mess. Like we're meaning our human character that we had, if you, people believe in this or not, that we select our plot points before we mm-hmm. come into this life. It kind of makes sense. Mm -hmm. And that we also select the possible transformations in the journey and that it was supposed to be messy and that it's okay and that it's okay to love that. Yes. So that's brought so much healing to me. Uh, But I would love to go back maybe to when you were about five years old. I think there's something really magical that uh, if we will witness ourselves at that age there's a lot of clues for us that seems to be the magical time where we are so in our purpose like we're very clear as far as what we're playing how we're playing what are we pretending what are we visioning for our future and I found a lot of clues for myself of what I was doing at that time that has completely guided me to where I'm at now 
So I'm curious if there was any clues for you at that age. And it could have even been the clue of, I've learned that having the ability to read people is actually a trauma response. Yes. Right. And then, yeah, I love that you know that because a lot of people are like, I'm an empath. I was born this way. No, you weren't. You were traumatized that way. <laughs> so if you don't mind talking a little bit, whatever your comfort level is, but I think it's such an important thing to recognize going back to the attachments of identity that we can get attached to, like you said, being a disempowered empath and kind of getting stuck there. Mm -hmm. But for me, it was incredibly healing to find out, oh no, this was just a response to a situation that was not great. However, Mm -hmm. I was able to pull out phenomenal abilities as a result that are serving my life today. So it was just a great great perceptual shift, but anything you're comfortable sharing. It's interesting because, you know, people who have had difficult childhoods, you'll find don't have a lot of memories of their childhood. Mm -hmm. That's very, very common. Um, But I I do, I didn't have an awful childhood, but um, I, the, the memories are scattered. And of course, because of negativity bias, what I remember in that age is negative or seemingly negative. Um, so I sucked my finger as a soothing tool, I think until I was probably six or seven. I don't remember when it was that I decided I was done with it, but I do remember that my father was adamant that I stop mm-hmm. and that he was always on me if he, if he caught me doing it. So I, I do very clearly remember sucking my finger and watching TV and I was half paying attention to the TV And the other part of my attention was paying attention to the sound of his office chair creaking, indicating that he was going to get up and and enter the room. So so I would take my, and that walking on eggshells type of anxiety was an imprint at that age. And I clearly remember it. So yeah, there's that. Which uh, probably gives you some layer of superpower when you're interacting with people. Like you were saying, I don't know if this was before we started recording or not, but uh, to not even miss the breath or to miss uh, an expression. It's almost like you can tell everything that's going on if you're really observing and really. Yeah. yeah. Like, for example, the the client that I was just with, he's got a lot of uncertainty about his relationship and he can feel it really acutely in his stomach and he he's trying to solve the feeling with thinking (laughs) obviously that doesn't work and so I just during session I said okay we're going to take all of your attention and bring and be with the feeling in your stomach Mm -hmm. just be with it okay so I'm watching it this is why it's so important for me to coach face to face because I'm watching and he's with it but then his eyes start moving I go you're thinking again you're thinking again get out of your thoughts, bring, bring it back to the feeling in your stomach. And his, a couple of times his brain was trying to take him and I could see his eye movement. Right. And then I was able to see the moment when he actually did drop into the feeling and his eyes stopped and they kind of looked down and he was breathing really rhythmically. And that's when I realized he's finally with the feeling. Then I said, how does it feel now? And he said, relax. And I said, now what's happening in your mind? He said, Oh, it's clear. <laughs> and I'm like, well, okay, now you actually can problem solve because when your nervous system is triggered and you have shame or regret or whatever it is, okay, the, your brain's always tracking your nervous system. Right. And so 
your brain can only offer you thoughts that are a vibrational match to what's going on in your nervous system. Of course. course. Just like what Einstein said, he's famous for saying, you can't solve a problem with the thinking that caused it. Mm -hmm. Right. And when you're still in the result of, of the thought, which is the emotion, you can't solve it. So we got to the other end of the emotion. His mind was clear. And I said, now what? And he goes, I know exactly what to do. (laughs) I'm like, okay, good. It's so brilliant that that's how you operate because I think, believe it or not, I think all of us in general, I've heard a statistic that 95% of the population is in sympathetic dominant fight or flight 95% of the day. And that we're never really communicating with each other because we simply don't have access to the frontal lobe, the creative mind, which Mm -hmm. is where the solutions are. So that's something that I practice in my own work as well is how do we, and I'm curious what your process is, but mine is acknowledging what is there, validating what is Mm -hmm. there, letting, you know, the guard drop. Yes. Taking down uh, the defensive. Yeah. And it is amazing to witness. It's like the lights are coming on, right? Mm -hmm. When they make room for that. And I love this topic so much because it, it makes you wonder what kind of society we would have if we were all emotionally intelligent. Oh, yeah. To that degree. I mean, otherwise, it feels like we're all in reactive Mm -hmm. states. And until we move out of the competitive mind and into the creative, oh, gosh, we're going to have a really hard time solving any real major problems on the world. Well, it's funny you you, in this conversation, you've kind of asked those broad questions a couple of times. What would what would life look like without shame as this common thread that we're all trying to buffer against? And what would life look like if, you know, we were all emotionally intelligent? And the first time you asked it, my brain or whatever you want to call it, something offered me the movie, The Invention of Lying. I've never heard of it. Okay, I'm going to put a new invention of lying. And it is quite the experience to watch it because it is so bold-faced telling the truth all the time without any emotional buffering because there's no emotions involved and so he'd say it's hilarious because he says things and it's been probably it's been over 10 years since i've seen it so i'm not going to be able to quote it accurately but he would say things like well you look really ugly today (laughs) just just what's on his mind you know and and like people aren't really ruffled by it they're like oh I do oh Oh, that's so interesting yeah it's essentially they're just highlighting projecting our thoughts out into reality without the emotional reactions yeah without without hiding what would life be like if we weren't all hiding from the truth yes the truth about ourselves the truth about everybody else what if we weren't hiding yes it's pretty cool. It's and it's hilarious. Hilarious. Okay, I'm gonna have to watch this one. Um, yeah, and I do. I think about those kinds of things mainly because this journey is not super easy. The you know the spiritual awakening path, and not just that, but stepping into the space of service, which we're gonna talk about with the creation experiment. I often come back to what is the the bigger purpose of all of this like where is this all going what is the why behind it so I do toggle back and forth between this high dimensional perspective 
but I also really appreciate practicality and groundedness because unless we are, <laughs> unless we're here in our body on the planet, we don't have that much agency. And I right. think, <laughs> I think that's where many of us can get stuck of really trying to project into higher consciousness, but really not knowing what yeah. to do with it once we've got it. Right. Because this journey is a paradoxical one mm -hmm. because it's both and. It's the higher thinking and the being grounded in our humanness. It's our divinity and our humanity at the same time. Right. And they seem contradictory, but so what? It, they, they are what they are. <laughs> and I have found that to be true when, when you're bumping up against a greater spiritual truth, you will always find paradox. Yes, I agree. So, and just to, I think, circle back with the, you know, overcoming the shame of not ever finishing anything. Because right. I had to every single day forgive myself for it. I had to forgive the past and I had to forgive all those choices and the reason I did it and feel the shame. And then I could be free to make a totally different choice once I dove into the shame and forgave it. Okay. It, I'm super curious about the topic of forgiveness because it has been kind of a wild card for me. I know that's my work in this life big time. It's everybody. <laughs> okay, okay, good. Um, and I, to be honest, I've never heard a definition exactly of what is it and how do you do it? So I'm curious what your definition is of it and what does it look like if you're guiding somebody else to make that choice? Yeah. So here's the, here's what's so interesting. And here's another paradox. Forgiveness isn't really something that we do. Mm -hmm. forgiveness is something as that happens as a result of becoming whole the result of us seeing ourselves as untarnished by whatever seemed to offend us but by whatever seemed remember that's a key word seemed to have hurt us because the truth is our real reality is that we're spirit right that we're eternal and we're invulnerable to hurt nothing can hurt us mm -hmm. so if we perceive ourselves as hurt we're in wrong thinking which is going to trigger a lot of people, <laughs> <laughs> right? We've misthought, we've misperceived if we think we're hurt. And so if we can do the work to see ourselves as whole and not taken from, not um, in any state of lack or lesser than as a result of anything that has happened to us, then we're whole again. And it's like the hurt never happened. So how... Yeah, I'm really, this is fascinating. How does somebody, especially when you're working with them, it's obvious to you that it's a distortion, mm -hmm. right? Of their perception. How do you guide somebody through recognizing that? And, and at first allowing it to be there, forgiving it, yeah. and uh, transcending it. So first we have to find out how it happened, right? So I take them through a process that's kind of like cognitive behavioral therapy that's breaking down what is the perception that caused the feeling that caused the behavior that caused the result and, and connecting those dots that this result happened because you thought this, mm -hmm. right? And a lot of times it, it does take really focused uh, in, inquiry to figure out exactly what the perception is because many of us don't think in words and sentences, right? We think in pictures or ideas or whatever. And so just even articulating what the thought was is really hard. Mm -hmm. um, but here's the thing about misperceptions. They can't be healed. They can't be taken from us until we shed light on them. 
right? We can't offer something up to God to heal for us until we know what we're surrendering, right? Mm -hmm. Because then it's against our will, right? Interesting. Oh, I've never thought of it that way, but you're right. And our misperceptions have to be corrected one thought at a time, one perception at a time. This is classic Course in Miracles, by the way, if you've ever studied Course in Miracles. And so that's why we do it one thought at a time, one circumstance at a time. But what's so fun is that once you do the work of one, one circumstance that was upsetting to you, changing the thinking of that one bleeds into other congruent type of circumstances. So I take them through like, okay, this is the perception. This is how you interpreted what was going on that caused this result. And then they, they realize that. And then it's the, the accountability piece, right? Taking ownership that this clearly created the result it's my responsibility. And then before we can find another perception, before we can correct the perception, we have to forgive the fact that we chose that perception, that we practiced our brain's most repeated and rehearsed program. And we took the bite, our bait, brain's bait is the way I say it, right? We took the bait. Yeah. We have to forgive ourselves for doing that. Yeah, we're pointed forward instead of backwards, right? And once we, once we, and again, the forgiveness thing, it isn't something that we do. It's coming from a place of understanding. I understand why I did that. I understand that I was in fear. I understand that I was trying to protect myself Mm -hmm. and I forgive myself for wanting to protect myself because I actually, that's the part of me that loves me. Right. So do you work, do you study like internal family systems and Mm -hmm. parts work? Okay. Mm -hmm. So I'm curious. So when, at least when I'm working with myself or other people and I am working with a distortion and bringing some balance to it, I find that I will animate it even more going through the process as it's coming up for review and I can start making much more conscious decisions. Um, Is that something that you find occurs or do you notice that people are able to address it in that session and just let it go? Can you further describe to me what, what you mean by you animate it even more? Yeah. Okay. Great example would be something super small. Like let's say that I'm struggling with being impatient in my life. And I consciously choose to let that attachment to that identity go. And then what I would notice is multiple opportunities in life. So it's not like the patience arrives. I would um, manifest many opportunities to choose it and then have that conscious choice. Okay. Yes. Yes. So is that so? So you unconsciously manifest more and more situations in which you are presented the with the uh, opportunity to choose patience or impatience or whatever it is that I'm working whatever on. it is you're working on yeah yeah um I've heard that being, being that process been described as chemicalization uh, yeah so it's it's um the universe saying are you sure oh prove it is <laughs> the free will piece mm-hmm. on steroids I bet yeah. So then with your approach, is that something that you're finding, I guess, dissolves the distortions immediately and people really are able to let go? Very. very it depends quickly. on the person um, that letting go of the impatience. First of all, it's the diving into what, why use that coping mechanism? What is it trying to serve? Right. And forgiving that part. Like, what are, what are you buffering against? What are you afraid of? 
And the, the impatience is always a tool, just as your example, right? It's always a tool to try to protect us from something. So whatever the thing that you're trying to protect yourself from with the impatience, if you just run into that thing, then the impatience doesn't have to come up to try to protect you because you're not afraid of it anymore. I gotcha. Okay, so then out of curiosity, going back to this shame, what do you think the higher wisdom Mm-hmm. shame has to offer us as a coping mechanism like what is, Ooh, what is that such a good question that's <laughs> such that a good question well there's there's I've heard it described as there's two different ways of interacting with shame there's there's shame internalized mm-hmm. and then there's just shame situationally so shame can be actually really uh what's the word practical or utilitarian useful right Shame can be useful if we're applying it to the situation and how we chose to show up in that situation, given the thought process we were choosing to uh, co-sign on. Mm -hmm. But if the shame is internalized, we make it as something like, I am always bad. This is who I am. This is who I'm always going to be. I'm never going to be good enough. I've always not been good enough. Then it's not useful. Right. Shame shame and, and guilt is really close to shame, right? They can be used to signal us, to let us know it's like a divergence. Who do I want to be? This is who I was in this situation. This is who I chose to be. And who could I choose to be in the future? And guilt and shame is a signpost to go, let's make a different. Here's an opportunity to make a different decision. If we didn't have the emotion. We couldn't know that we had a choice to do different. Right. Okay. So it sounds like the difference between the healthy experience is that a it's a, just an experience and somebody yeah. would recognize that versus it's an identity. Right. And, and this goes, um, Marty Seligman, he's the, uh, father of positive psychology movement. Okay. He wrote the book learned optimism and they did, uh, a really extensive study of people who are optimists and people who are pessimists and they found, and I'm, I don't remember what they are, so I'm not going to be able to educate you fully, but they did find the divergence in thinking is a universal versus uh, what was the word opposite of universal, right? If something bad has happened or I did something bad or whatever, the pessimist personalizes it and universalizes it, makes it an always the case type of decision instead of this, this happened this one time. Right. Um, I can't, there's like four, four different um, things that they were able to identify in the thinking of, of optimist versus pessimist. But what I found super interesting about that book is there's a lot of pitfalls of optimism too, that we have to be careful of. Like? <laughs> Not being grounded in reality, telling ourselves stories to make ourselves feel better because we're, we don't want to feel bad. Right. Right. Optimists do laugh, do live longer than pessimists, but <laughs> you better have a pessimist as, as your CFO or you're in trouble. <laughs> <laughs> that is so awesome. And you know, it's hilarious as I started off as a pessimist and mm-hmm. did a lot of brain retraining to now I probably am interesting that you brought that up. I probably am a little bit too on that hopeful pes- or mm-hmm. optimistic side. And I think that yeah, I would benefit a lot from having people like that, keeping things grounded. And-, right. and that's my goal with clients, right? So the definition of insanity, we all know it. But for me, the definition of sanity is just as useful. Oh. And that is being grounded, or sorry, interacting with reality on reality's terms. 
Interesting. Okay. So, you know, when, when we're trying to figure out how did you create this result and we're trying to do accountability, Mm -hmm. I don't let my clients get away with telling a story that we don't have enough information to make that for sure. We know that that's what happened either way. I don't let them get away with telling themselves a story to make them feel better. (laughs) And I don't let them get away with telling themselves a story to make them feel worse. If we lack an adequate information and evidence to make that actually the case. That is fantastic. Oh my gosh. Remind me, do you have your own podcast? I do. I don't do it a lot. And I've, I've just recently started inviting people again, Um, but it's called the, my story podcast. And it's, it's just, I have found that the most transformation that ever has ever happened for anyone is in story, which is why Jesus told the story. (laughs) Always story. And so it's just an opportunity to invite people to come tell their story. And the, the framework is what are the five biggest the five most influential events that have shaped your story or your life path. Amazing. Well, I'm just sitting here listening to you going, oh my gosh, you are such a wealth of knowledge. And I can see very clearly that you understand what you're saying. They're not just words. And the first thing I was thinking is like, where can I get more of this? Like, this is really, (laughs) this is really fantastic. So uh, I I do want to shift gears to talking a little bit more about you and your, your life, because first of all, I know that you and I have shared with each other really openly and vulnerably about the realities of being an entrepreneur. You know, there's part of what this show is about is being vulnerable and transparent, pulling that curtain back and being like, you guys, this this is what it is. The glamour and all of that is a sales tactic. It just is. But you've been living this life for 10 years. Mm -hmm. And I would love whatever you feel comfortable sharing. Like you just said, that we have the most healing and transformation and story. If you guys don't take anything else from this podcast, know that that is true. And to commit yourself to receiving the stories of others and being in community, that will change you more than you can imagine. We're just creatures of, what is it? The mirror neurons. And we yes. <laughs> other people, that's the fastest way to transformation. That's the fastest way to inspiration. Of course. Right. So it, whatever you feel comfortable sharing of what has the last 10 years looked like and the successes, but even the failures and making mm-hmm. all of that. Okay. Okay. Well, for the first half of my career, I didn't believe that I was good enough. I didn't believe that I was a coach. I felt like an imposter every time I said, I'm a coach. Oh. <laughs> Um, and I was waiting for other people to believe in me first, especially my husband. I was making it his job to be my cheerleader and believe in me. And the more he didn't, the more I resented him for not showing up in a way I should have been showing up for myself. Um, Anyone familiar? Right. <laughs> <laughs> and then um in 2019, I met someone who was doing everything that I wanted to do. She was coaching and she was, you know, people were paying her and she was getting clients and she was not even giving a crap about it as much as I cared about it. It was just a fun little hobby. She didn't care about, but take it or leave it. I'll do it if I want to do it, you know, and I was making it my identity and I was making it my um, rite of passage. 
that if I can make it as this awesome, like in-demand coach, then I'm good enough. Then I'm a grown up. Then I can take myself seriously. Then other people will take myself seriously. And of course, entrepreneurs, we know that none of that will ever happen until we do it first. Mm -hmm. And so that was a real shift for me to meet this woman and go, wait a second. She doesn't have any of the knowledge and the training that I have. And she is doing everything I want to do. Wow. And, and I was like, okay, that's it. I got to, I have to actually just take myself seriously and stop waiting for my husband to do it. And so, and I have to do things that are hard and scary, yeah. like go into debt to pay a marketing team, to do all that work that I could do on my own that would take me forever and a long, long learning curve and keep me from doing what I want to do, which is coaching. So I did that. I, I went into debt and I, and I purchased um, a marketing team to do all my branding, my everything, um, put up my website and everything. And that was such a good investment. Oh my gosh. And then around the same time, I found my coach and oh. she's amazing. And I went into debt to hire her too. And it, her program changed everything. Wow. really changed everything and really allowed me to step into my identity as a coach and, and gave me the roadmap to do it. And that's when everything shifted, everything changed. That was me rebranding from health coach to life coach. Okay. And that was also the same time that the, one of the rockiest times in our marriage. So my husband he was having a bit of an identity shift because he was always full-time military and his contract was up and he was being faced with the decision to go civilian or stay military. And he didn't like being in the military, but it's a nice safe place to be. Right. Mm -hmm. um, he had a lag time of when his contract was up and when he was starting his new job. So he did find a new job. It took him some time. And I freaked out by the way, that's a whole other story. Um, and during that time when the lag time, he didn't have, he wasn't occupied in some doing something productive, which is really mentally healthy for men, especially. Um, so he decided to go about the business of working on all the deferred maintenance that he'd been putting off around the house and fixing all the things that needed to be done. When he was doing that though, he kept, he, he kept on uncovering more things that need, you know, and, and roadblocks and it wasn't working the way he thought it should go. Right. And it was harder and, and more expensive and more time consuming. Right. So he's feeling really discouraged. He's also not working. So he's not feeling like he's productive. And here I am going for broke with my business and it's working and I'm signing clients and I'm making money and I'm finally feeling like, I always wanted to feel in my business. And that contrast was really um, stretching or tension building, right? And he got really resentful and contemptuous and, and bitter and um, throwing shade my way. And I was like, <laughs> oh no, oh no. And that, that, was th that was that chemicalization. That was the universe going, are you sure? Uh -huh. Yeah. Are you sure? Because if I was going to do this for myself and step into this identity, I had to accept the possibility that it would mean the end of my safe haven, which was my relationship. Mm -hmm. And I had to be willing to go for it, even if that were to be the result. And that was so hard. Yeah. Because, and that's what I find in my relationship coaching is people want to step into this new identity 
but they see it as a threat to the existing relationship. Even if the existing relationship sucks, it's still the safe haven, what we all know. And so they'll hold themselves back, which is what I was doing. They'll hold themselves back, waiting for the other person to like, come on, grow with me. Please, please come with me because I'm going to become a different person. And if you don't become a different person with me, this isn't going to work. And and I had to just go for broke and be like, if if this results in he can't be with me anymore, fine. Mm -hmm. And that's when everything changed. Wow. he actually went from saying things like who the hell would pay for life coaching to handing out my business cards. Wow. Because I believed it first, not him. Exactly. Oh, that's so profound. And thank you for sharing that because it is, it's a very practical and real thing that happens, whether we're pursuing a business or just a awakening and becoming a new version of ourselves. There was a quote, I forget who said, I think it was Kyle Cease. He said that we're more afraid of losing the things that we can see we're going to lose than to gain what's on the other side of that. And that that's kind of just the roadblock for the average person. So the fact that you knowing what you were choosing completely changed your identity I'm sure Mm -hmm. and then sounds like reflected in your husband's you know perception Mm -hmm. completely yeah and and he's since he has retired from the military and there's no more of this story in the background like oh maybe we can go back maybe we can go back to that nice comfy paycheck yeah you know and it's gone and his identity is no longer he's like done He's done with the military and I'm done with it too. (laughs) (laughs) But yeah, I mean, it, that was the whole beginning too of, that was when I drew the line. Mm -hmm. And actually that's, that's quite a story. I I packed my bags and and left to go to a girlfriend's house. And I said, I'm not coming back until you figure out your mental health. (laughs) Because I was taking too much responsibility for his mental health. And I was, I was being his therapist, which a lot of wives will do. Don't do that. Um, and I said, this is way too much emotional heavy lifting for me. This is not my job to keep you mentally healthy. It's yours. And so he did, he took total responsibility for his mental health. He knew I was serious because I put action behind it. People don't believe our words. They believe our actions. I packed a bag and I left Mm -hmm. and I told him, you better figure out what to do with the kids. (laughs) And, and yes, was, was the reaction, the immediate reaction really ugly? Yes. But I was willing to withstand that because everything I wanted was on the other side of something really uncomfortable and ugly. Mm-hmm. But um, he did take full responsibility and he has a completely, he has, he has suffered from depression and anxiety our whole marriage. And since that drawing of the line, he hasn't had episodes like he used to have. Like he, he takes care of his mental health and he believes in God now, which I never, that was never the case. He never believed in God. He was always reluctant to believe that there was something big, you know, like I talked about earlier, the higher power. He was always reluctant to, um, you know, just acknowledge that. Mm -hmm. And now we pray every night as a family. Like what? What? (laughs) (laughs) And and I didn't demand that. I didn't demand that. All I did was I'm going to take care of me. I'm going to do what's best for me. I'm going to go to church. I'm going to take the kids to church. You're welcome to come. I don't demand that you come. Right. It was 
all an invitation, never a demanding and love never demands. Right. And I love how in our, in your intro that you were super celebrating your ability to stick. And it sounds like it was across the board. Yeah. All of a sudden, this new personality came online that knew what she wanted and she was willing to go all in. And yeah, there's that commitment energy that changes the game. So I want to take a little bit of it, like a peek behind the curtain with your actual business. I know that you went from health and wellness to then I'm guessing at that point you went into life coaching, but then now I'm so fascinated and actually so grateful for the work that you do. I think it is so incredibly necessary and so important and thank goodness for people like you that are doing that work. So if you can share with the audience kind of what that transition was and what you've landed on now. Well, the relationship coaching became kind of a no-brainer for me because it has been the source of my greatest pain. And right, our superpowers grow from our greatest pain. And I I always knew that I wanted to have a relationship that had longevity for that continuity of narrative for my children. They, I didn't want them to have you know, clearly I don't have full control over that, but I do. There's the paradox, right? <laughs> I am 100% responsible for my relationship, but there's also another person who's responsible. <laughs> so um, there was that commitment, but I've been studying health and wellness, nutrition, science. Like I'm the geeky one about that. Like if, if somebody in a networking meeting comes to me with a product that has a claim, I'm like, uh-uh, show me the science. I, <laughs> I want to see it. Um so I've been studying that for a long time and there's a lot of contradictory information and it's all seems when you dive into it, it seems very legit. So for example, there's one line of belief in nutrition that meat is the way to go and stay away from plants. Most of the plants on this planet are trying to kill us. They're toxic, right? They're most of them are too poisonous to eat, right? They've developed that as a defense to be for becoming overeaten animals can move to defend themselves. So let's eat them. <laughs> and, um, you know, their livers have already processed out all the toxicity from the plant. So we just get the pure nutrients without the toxicity, right? There's that line of thought. But then you've got all the evidence for plants or medicine and all the essential oils and botanicals and stuff that actually do create shifts and, and remove blockages for people's bodies to work more efficiently, right? So there's so much contradictory information. It's probably a both and, right? Paradox. But what I have found to be, and I, I always want to speak with authority, right? And I want to be going the right way. And so what I have found to be the case along all the different theories of diet and wellness is that relationships are the number one thing that impact our health and wellness the most. And if you look at the blue zone stuff, the blue zone studies, right? They all have varied diets and varied lifestyles. But the the one thing that it seems to be the, the case is they live in tight knit, supportive, intimate communities, right? And you have so many, not outliers or the, you know, the um, anecdotal, it's not anecdotal, it's not the exception that proves the rule, because there's lots of them that show that you you can have a Dr. Pepper every morning and a cigar every night and live till you're 105 if you live in a supportive, intimate community. Wow. And that's where all the diet theory just gets thrown right out the window. Mm -hmm. That's fascinating. And I've, I've come to that same exact conclusion because like you said, once you're in a point of focus, 
the average person will keep looking for information to support whatever it is that they believe, but mm-hmm. a true, a truth seeker will research all of it yeah. and look for and the- be comfortable being on the fence. Yeah. Right. Right. Like I'm not willing to make a decision one way or the other about gluten. Okay. So I'm just going to stay on the fence. Yeah. Right. It works for some people. It doesn't work for others. Right. Do an experiment on your own body, figure it out. <laughs> exactly. But I love this idea. And I think you are, hitting the nail on the head that we are designed to be in community. Yeah. That was just the original design. And we're, I think there were some statistics that this by far is the highest rate of mental illness ever and poverty in the U.S. And yeah. that it's all coming back to like fragmentation and disconnection. Mm-hmm. Yeah, we're hardwired for connection. It's our number one most important need more than more than food and water and shelter we need connection and here's the paradox we need each other but we don't need each other (laughs) because we're never really separate from each other we're never really separate from god so a person can become enlightened meditating alone under a tree (laughs) but we also need each other yeah so right, so let's move into what kind of work that you're doing now. I like I really find it fascinating that you are mostly coaching men. Like you said, it was very organic of um, mm-hmm. an occurrence to happen. But what I love about that is it makes so much sense. You know, I, I know there's a lot of women coaching women, men coaching men, and there's so much power in that. But when it comes to relationship dynamics, there's a significant benefit to learning from the opposite sex, what Mm -hmm. you want to know about the opposite Mm -hmm. sex and how to relate. So I'm really fascinated by the work that you do and curious, uh, whatever you feel comfortable sharing with the audience. Well, a few years ago, I was blessed to come in just seemingly random, but not random contact with a relationship coach too. We met at a Walmart. Wow. And he was very well studied in areas that I hadn't dove into quite yet, like marriage and family relations or uh, systems, right? And he was an educator in that field. And he and I, well, we invited him to a meetup group that we were doing. This is the craziest thing. So I'm a relationship coach now, but at the time, Uh, this couple came to our church and they were really struggling with their relationship. And she asked me, is there any kind of group therapy or counseling or anything around here? We're really struggling. We can't afford therapy. And I was like, well, I don't think so. I'll check though. So I looked around, there's nothing. And I was like, well, why don't we just create something? And my husband and I were like, yeah, let's do it. So we created a meetup called creating harmonious relationships. And it was for us too, because we were still struck. We were still building back or not building back, but coming uh, out of the ashes, if you will. And then that couple didn't even show up for a couple of years. <laughs> but um, we we met all kinds of different people in different relationship configurations, gay, straight, poly, monogamous, you, you name it. And, and it, in a relatively small town, which was really interesting. And this relationship coach upon my invitation would come. And I was so glad because he was able to um, call me on the carpet about some of my cognitive distortions and the way I was emasculating my husband and the way I was taking too much of a masculine energy in the relationship and, and filling that masculine role so that he couldn't. Mm -hmm. And um, the way I was undermining my own happiness in my own marriage. 
And it was not easy. It was scathing. (laughs) But, you know, I want truth. I want to be in alignment with truth and wisdom. And so once I was able to just face that, my mind had been poisoned by a lot of very in vogue ideas and just forgive it and release it. I was able to get grounded more in reality about the polarity of feminine and masculine energy and be able to create it more in in my relationship. And it has made all the difference in my relationship. And then of course, moving into my role now, um, as a, as a relationship coach, um, yeah, it's really funny how that happened. <laughs> I know. It was almost like that original couple was the right people to get you to just do this thing, whether they were part mm-hmm. of it or not. And I think that is how life works. I mean, when you're on your path, you're you're just connected with the right people at the right time. And I'm curious what some of those things were, because I imagine there's a lot of women, myself included, that And I've heard so many different theories on this, but that if we as women don't feel like we're being protected, that we will shift into our masculine energy. Yeah. Yeah, It's it's survival mode. Yeah. Yeah. But then once we're in it, it's hard to get out of it because it has served us for so long and protected us for so long that we don't allow a man who even wants to be in the masculine role to do it. We can't let go of that control um, and, and take a small risk, bunch of small risks to let him do that and show us that he can be dependable, that he can be relied upon. He can't show us if we don't give him an opportunity. (laughs) So that was my question to you was what did that look like in a practical way? So you said little micro opportunities. Feeling the fear and doing it anyway, right? Feeling the fear that he might let you down feeling the fear that he might not pull, you know, follow through and, and deciding ahead of time what you want to think if that happens and how you'll handle it if it does happen. Okay. We buffer because of the unknown of like, I don't know what I will do if that happens. Right. If we decide ahead of time, this is how I want to think about it. If that happens, this is how I want to respond. Then it's not so scary. Then we can take those little risks and they're manageable risks. They're calculated risks. Okay. And then eventually it was a complete shift in energetics mm-hmm. to where you guys don't even think about it anymore. It just, well, I mean, we're still in the process, you know, okay. there's still some areas where I could shift out of masculine energy and he can shift in out of feminine energy. Um, we don't always have that polarity, but just being aware now of how that dynamic works is everything. Hey, so this is another one of those universal questions for you is recently I've seen a little bit of a movement from women and it's called, I think, decentering men where there's like a big shift in consciousness around, I guess, the programming, you know, a lot of programming, you look at all the Disney movies and there's a very clear message of what you know, the little girl to women's role is the life path. And so there's a big shift in it. And there's aspects to it that I find interesting. However, I was witnessing this going, I don't think this is the answer. I see what they're doing. And I see that they're trying to take their power back. And I know that this is just a symptom of hurt and disappointment, Mm -hmm. um, and not knowing what to do. Right. Whenever we're acting out of hurt and disappointment, what we create will not work. Of course. 
And so what do you see as the solution from the perspective that you have living the experience yourself? And now I think it starts with telling the truth. Okay. We're telling a lot of lies. Mm. Some of it is true. Like a lot of bad men did abuse their power and their positions of authority and leadership as the leader of the family unit, right? Men did abuse that. But was that the norm? No. Women have wanted to be married. Every, I mean, for hundreds of years, Jane Eyre wrote about falling in love and getting married, or not Jane Eyre, um, oh gosh, what's her name? Bronte, Emily Bronte. And, you know, all these female writers of that era, when they didn't have voting rights and they didn't, they couldn't own property and all that stuff, what were they writing about? Falling in love, getting married. If it didn't serve women, why would they write about that? If if marriage wasn't a good thing for women and for men, why would they write about that? That's a good question. And that's kind of, and that's what I'm looking at because I see that we all have the desire. And I mean, maybe not necessarily for the institution of marriage, but we all have a desire for partnership. For, for partnership and coupledom. Yeah. That polarity, because we can feel in our feminine energy that there's a aspect that could bring us more into harmony with life itself. Oh. And that's the masculine energy, right? And, you know, for people have been shacking up and, and getting married and partnering for hundreds and hundreds of years because it's worked. Because it's worked. Why Why would people keep doing it if it didn't work? <laughs> and this, this lies that the, our culture is telling us that marriage has not been a good thing for women. It's shackled women. It's disempowered women. That is not true. And if you really look at the history during the um, suffrage movement of the early 20th century, most women didn't want the right to vote. Interesting. They didn't want it because they saw that any right comes along with a responsibility. And the responsibility to vote was to be conscripted into military service. And wants to get shot? Oh, I didn't no know. No woman wanted to go off to war and get shot? So they were like, no, no, don't give it to me. Because they knew they had the influence in their homes mm -hmm. to talk with their husband about the issues politically. And the vote was a was a vote for the home, not for him. Wow. It was a vote for the for the partnership. This is what we're voting on. This is what we have come through negotiation and and you know conversation, how we think that the country should go. It, it's totally discount discounting the the power that women did have within their own homes. Okay. We're telling a lot of lies. It's very obvious to me that it's coming from a place of hurt, hurt. and confusion and like a desire to find some level of control. And, and it was just like playing this out going, okay, let's just say somebody goes all in, they choose that lifestyle. Then what? Mm -hmm. Like what, what changes for them or society? And I, my instinct is that there's a lot of rebalancing mm -hmm. that there's a lot of opportunity for that. So I'm curious what, I mean, you're up close and personal. You see this every day when you work with your clients, what would you say are, let's say the main keys for women to heal and in, in their, how they show up in relationships and the main keys for how men could heal? Well, and in this area, I can direct you to some resources that aren't mine. And I'm happy to do that because, you know, everybody benefits. Yes. Um, there's a great podcast called the empowered wife podcast. 
And I send my female clients to see this one or to listen to this one a lot. And number one is self-care. Remember which self we're taking care of. Okay. Not the egoic. I'm entitled to everything. You need to go out and work for me so that I can stay pampered and not do anything at home. That's the egoic self. (laughs) Okay. Self-care, right, is number one. And she lays that out and she's got a great book too um, to to become a more, and I love that she calls it the Empowered Wife Podcast Mm -hmm. because it's it's going back to traditional values, but it's not disempowering at all. Okay. It's getting into your feminine energy, your authentic feminine energy so he can take Mm -hmm. the, the role of the masculine and finally show up and show you that you're safe and secure. And that's when, everything opens up for mind-blowing sex too. I bet. I mean, the other podcast is, um, the sex part of it is Kim Anami's podcast, Orgasmic Enlightenment. It is completely earth shattering. If you never interacted with that kind of material, she, she approaches enlightenment through the act of sexual intercourse. And it's, it's amazing. And I send my my male clients and my female clients to that podcast and so for men so the empowered wife cast podcast for women and then for men i have them read no more mr nice guy (laughs) by dr robert glover because most men in our culture have no idea what it means to be a masculine man Mm -hmm. right and most people suffer from black and white thinking okay so they think if not this then the extreme as the as is the not that and there's so much more in between right so if i leave this marriage then i'm bound to to meet a bad guy no no (laughs) like why do you think that if you leave your marriage i'm bound to go through serial dating and never finding anything i want why do you think that (laughs) right we have this black and white thinking and it's not true um a lot of men think if i'm if i'm not a nice guy and if i have a backbone and stand up for myself then i'm an asshole that's not true that's not true. Or if I'm, if I'm an asshole, then I'm not nice or I'm not kind. And none of that's true. Mm-hmm. So nice guys are actually, they're dishonest because they're always people pleasing. And they're always trying to put forth portrayal of, look, I want you to think I'm a nice guy. I need you to think I'm a nice guy. I am vying for your approval so that I can think I'm okay. And right. so they're dishonest. And then um, Love this. they have no backbone, right? They've been raised by women because after World War II, men left the farms and went to the city. So they're out of the home, Um, not raising their boys. Their boys are being raised by women. So they're getting their idea of manhood by women. They're educated by women. Most teachers are women. Oh, my gosh. That's how it happened, right? Oh, this is fascinating. And they're being taught by, by a lot of embittered women who unfortunately married a drunk guy. And so nice guys have decided I don't want to be anything like my dad. And in that throwing the baby out with bathwater, right? Maybe you don't want to be like some aspects of your dad, but come on, there's got to be something good about him, right? But men, these nice guys, they decide I don't want to be anything like him. And so I'm going to be a castrated man, essentially. Mm -hmm. And so these men, they have no backbone. They don't stand up to their wives. Their wives are in masculine energy. So they're walking all over them. Then they lose respect for them. They're not getting laid. And it's just a sexless marriage is really not pretty. Yeah, I can imagine. And I love all that history of like, where, how did this happen? Where did this come from? And that is really, really fascinating. So the irony is not lost on me that I'm a woman 
uh-huh. right? <laughs> Teaching men how to step into their masculinity. But the thing about nice guys is their masculinity is so wounded that they don't have guy friends. They don't go out hunting. They don't go out and do guy things. They they tend to make the center of their universe their woman and live for pleasing her. And they, And it doesn't work. And the programming of nice guy is, this isn't working. Try harder. What? Right. Try harder at doing all the things that don't work. That's literally the programming of, of nice guys. And so nice guys, if they're going to work with a coach, it's not going to be a guy. It's going to be somebody that's non-threatening okay. a woman, right? So I'm happy to be the, you know, the usherer of, of men into realizing what's going on. And then I want them to hire a male coach when they're done with me. Got and it. I want them to join a support group of men mm-hmm. to further that journey. But, you know, somebody's got to show it to them. <laughs> I love this. And I actually see that being a huge trend and a huge industry on the rise of empowered, healed men, balanced mm-hmm. men, really teaching other men how to show up that way and yeah. And have you noticed, is it a long process for oh, that? Yes. Oh okay. yeah. Yeah. That's, I mean, that's programming since infancy. Like it takes time. It takes a time and a, a bunch of small, courageous acts doing things that you're afraid to do and bracing for, is she going to be upset? <laughs> <laughs> you notice that the women appreciate the shit. They love it. There's a story in the book, No More Mr. Nice Guy, where the wives come along to this group session that he's having. And I can't remember what the topic was, but he, that one of the men was saying, well, I don't want to do this because it's such and such. I'm afraid. So it was, I can't remember the example, but the wife goes, no, no, no. I, well, I want you to. I want you to disagree with me. I, I want you to. Right. do that and and the guy's jaws dropped like what <laughs> yeah they really do appreciate it oh, yeah. women women who are with men who just lay over and let oh whatever honey it's fine the, the women the way that we think is they're not committed they're not in it they're right. not in it enough to spar with me and call me out on my shit because i i'm my i unconsciously know i am full of shit <laughs> and I don't feel safe if this man is not going to have the backbone to tell me I'm full of shit. Oh, that's interesting. But it does come back to the safety piece. Mm-hmm. Wow. Okay, so us women want safety and what do the men want? Respect. Number one, men want respect. Amazing. Thank you for being willing to share your story and all of your insights. It's like, it. I learned so much. I'm going to have to rewatch this a few times to collect all the data because it, it, I can tell that you have spent the time. Yeah, I really, <laughs> man, I've, I'm always reading or listening to a podcast. I don't read fiction. I just, okay. I'm just curious. I want to know everything about everything. <laughs> As truth seekers, there's no better drug. So mm-hmm. for, uh, for anybody who's listening today, whether it's male or female, what nugget of inspiration and insight specific to connection that mm-hmm. you could leave them with that could just elevate their experience of how they show up and give love or how they receive love? Courage. You have to have the courage to let somebody in. And it's ego buster to let somebody really in. It's the most courageous thing that you can do. And that vulnerability 
is it's the most soul bearing exposed state we can be in, but it's also the most transformative, most empowering. And we have to, we have to take those risks knowing that even if the person hurts us when we're exposed, we'll be okay. Oh, we'll be okay. Wow. We can, we can overcome it. We can heal from it. And a really good analogy is, you know, we're the only species, one of the only species that kill each other, that slaughter each other. Okay. Other species, they do fight and they, you know, they, um, posture and, and they fight for territory. But most other species, when you see that they're fighting with one another, there comes a point where they, when one of them knows he's beat, right? He's beat. Yeah. And he turns over and submits to, um, what's the word? Submissive. Submissive. What's the word? <laughs> Anyways, he's submissive and he shows his soft underbelly. Okay knowing that the other one isn't going to strike trusting interesting that the other you know opponent his opponent is not going to cut his belly open and spill his guts because it it won't because there's something built into every species that revulsion to taking the life of our own kind which the military industrial complex has figured out how to deprogram in us which is what screws up a, a lot of our military but um that that taking that risk of showing our underbelly and trusting and having faith that the other person won't strike is the point of transformation. If we never, ever, ever let ourselves surrender and trust that the other person can show up, show up differently than they have, then we're stuck in the past where we are just completely, what's the word, not resigned, but we're stuck in all of the programmings of the past if we're determined to only see the past patterns mm -hmm. on the other hand of that though when you do take the risk and they do strike mm -hmm. believe them yes put action behind it yeah right believe what the other person is communicating to us instead of what we and, want to translate it into right words are not the truth actions are and even more um and here's the paradox, even more truthful than, than actions is patterns, right? But, right, the patterns of the past have to change in order for us to have a, a future that's different than the past. Mm -hmm. So there's that teetering, that suspension of belief, the yeah. suspension of disbelief, both of them, where we're giving the person a chance to diverge from their past patterns. But we're also believing them if they choose not to. Yes. Yes. A thousand percent. And anyone can be on their best behavior for three months. Anyone. Right. So transformation doesn't happen when somebody is um, trying to change to keep somebody. It never works. It will never work if you try to change to keep somebody. Okay. Transformation happens when we let go, not when we hang on. Mm. Right. So if you're in a, a place of limbo. I'm not sure that they're the person that they've always been. I'm also not sure that they're totally changed. This is an evaluation period and it has to go longer than three months. Okay. Right. Before you resign yourself and let your, not your guard. I don't want to say guard right. where you, where you decide that, Oh, they're changed. They're a different person. I can now stop paying so much attention. I can stop being so aware. I can go back to 
um, letting my unconscious mind and my habitual patterns, uh, and I can I can stop doing the work of being aware. You have to continually being present with the present moment to see if a, a new pattern actually has been created and established. And that takes longer than three months. I'm sure. I mean, for any of us, right? Yeah. Like just trying to change anything about ourselves is shockingly challenging sometimes. And I've also witnessed myself have radical transformation when I have a shift in consciousness. Yes, and that's it right there. Shift in consciousness comes first before the behavior. And oh you can God. tell, you can tell when somebody's just trying to behave on their best behavior. Right. You can tell the energy yeah. in their in their body language and the tenseness of their body. Like you can just tell if somebody's just on their best behavior so they don't F it up and lose you. Mm -hmm. And if they're actually trying to change because they know it's good for them. Agreed. Right? They know that whether you stick with them or not, they're still going to benefit from doing their work. Right. And you can definitely tell the difference and don't delude yourself <laughs> into thinking that there isn't a difference because there is. And most people, this is the one thing that I hear the most of. And it's so delusional. Well, if I mattered enough, if he loved me enough, he would change. <laughs> that is the most egoic thing and the most anti-connection, the most anti-relationship thing you could say, because it doesn't work if you're trying to change to keep somebody. It just doesn't. <laughs> mm -hmm. I agree. Wow. This is such a powerful topic because as you mentioned before, it's almost like if we can get this piece figured out, our emotional intelligence and our ability to connect and relate, then it almost seems like everything else in some way would be really solved from you know, the mental health, the physical health, the, the chaos of us just being in a reactive state and even feeling safe in our own body and on this planet. So I think this is such an incredible time for people like you that are doing this work. So thank you for that. Thank you. Thank you for all of your just words of affirmation. It's great. And where can people find you, follow you, watch your show and work with you? Well, they can go to my website. It's maryandrew.com. And my name is spelled a little differently. So I'll spell it out. M-E-R-I-A-N-N-E-D-R-E-W.com. And if someone's just interested in a conversation to explore what clarity they can gain from just one conversation, which could be a hell of a lot. Mm -hmm. uh, you can just book a free discovery session with me. And um, on Facebook, I'm on Instagram, Mary Andrew Coaching, both of them. Um, and my podcast is the My Story Podcast. You can find it on uh, Podbeam. I think it's the one that they, they just got bought by somebody though. The Spotify, I think Spotify. Oh, okay, perfect. Well, if you want to send me your links to everything, I'll make sure to put everything in the show notes so that they can connect with you really easily. But just want to say thank you again so much. I This was so fun. Uh, Marianne and I just met recently, like last month or maybe a couple mm -hmm. months ago at a um, entrepreneurial networking event. And it was just such a reminder of what I was getting ready for the show today of how fun that when I started this show, I had no idea who I was going to be interviewing. I just trusted that the right people would. I love that. I know I they love that. always yeah. show up. So it was really, really fun to have that evidence today. Of oh, thank you. So really, thank really you for the opportunity. I, I love the 
learning that I do just from conversations. I get just as much out of every session that I have with people as they get out of it too. So same. Thank you. Great. Well, we'll go ahead and wrap this up. So uh, to any of you that are watching, please like and subscribe. And if you have a transformational story about any of the experiment topics that we cover on the show, please reach out to me. My email is in the description box below. And I would love to have you on to share your story as well. And at the very least, uh, hopefully what you got from this episode is that connection truly is the key and that courageousness is the doorway to getting there. And just to serve as a reminder that you are the master that you've been waiting for. I'll see you guys in the next episode. Mm -hmm.